0: Our scripture today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Let us hear the word of the Lord. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, You will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's hear the word of the Lord.
1: I don't think it's hard. To trust God when life is going well. You ever thought about that? I don't think it's hard. Maybe some of you do. It might not be easy, but on the whole, I don't think it's hard to trust God when life is going well, when the sun is shining, when work is just clicking along stress-free, when grades are good and your body is healthy and the bills are paid and and marriage is amazing and the kids are well behaved. We're happy to give a shout out to heaven. It's, it's kind of the winning QB after the Super Bowl, right? First, just want to thank my, not dissing that, but and it comes easy, right? The Lord feels near, our faith feels strong, Psalm 103, to praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And in those times in our life, we say, that's right. I got benefits to praise God for but it is significantly harder to exercise faith in God when your life is not going well. When it feels like it's falling apart, when the sun is not shining, Uh, when your grades are not good, when marriage is a burden, stressful when your body is sick or the, the kids are out of control and, and suddenly our faith doesn't feel very strong. God doesn't feel very near. Why, why should I trust you, God, when you're not giving me what I want? When I, when I can't seem to catch a break, when you keep making my life so difficult. If, if you're not for me, You must be against me. You know, and you hear a verse like Psalm 103, 2. Forget not all his benefits. and, And inwardly you say, yeah, right. What benefits? You know, when the Lord delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, they shouted his praises, friends. And then three days later, when they started running out of water, they began to grumble against the same God. And several weeks later, he provided the water they needed. Several weeks later, when they began to run out of food, they finally decided the Lord should have just left us in Egypt. Apparently, their their trust in God... Went no deeper than what he had done for them lately. How about you? Is that, is that true of you? If you're a professing Christian, you need to be on guard here. Okay, if you're if you're exploring the Christian faith, asking questions about it you also need to be on guard. We need to be ever so careful that, that our faith rests in who Jesus is, not the blessings he gives. Those are different. And that's, that's precisely the issue. That, that Jesus raises and, and responds to in, in his interaction with a Galilean official here at the end of John chapter four. The, the gospels, including this chapter, are not a random collection of stories. Maybe you felt like that. You know, it's just everything that happened to Jesus and this mix it all up and choo-choo-choo and John grabs a pile and Mark, you know, just string them together. No. There are eyewitness accounts from the life of Christ arranged to accomplish a divinely intended effect in the heart of your soul and mine. And the way John frames and narrates this particular exchange turns our eyes to the nature of true faith. What what it really means to trust and believe in Jesus and the, the Savior himself addresses this issue by by caring for us in two ways in this passage, friends. At least two that I'm gonna draw your attention to today. And the first is this, point number one, Jesus engages our unbelief with abundant mercy. We're gonna think about this. What's that mean? That Jesus engages our unbelief with abundant mercy. What the beginning of, of chapter four, we've been in this chapter for some time, Uh, Jesus and his disciples set out from the region of Judea, which is in Southern Israel. And they're they're going North to the region of Galilee, which is in Northern Israel. They're both Jewish regions, but in the middle is a place called Samaria. And I stopped to rest here in the middle, outside a Samaritan village where, where Jesus cares for a socially outcast woman. What's he do for her? Well, he offers her the life that he alone can provide after helping her to see that she really, really needs it and that what Jesus has to give her far exceeds what any man in this world could ever give her. And before long, a multitude of her countrymen join this woman, it's the middle of chapter four, and trusting in Jesus as, quote, the savior of the world. Are they right or wrong? They're right. Right? They get it right. There's a lot of people in John's gospel that get it wrong. They totally misunderstand. But, but the Samaritans got it right. But the Jewish response to Jesus is strikingly different before and after, okay? So so two days after that incredible ministry among the Samaritans, Jesus continues traveling toward Galilee. It's where we pick up and verse 44 identifies the reason he's going. Look there. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. What's that mean? (laughs) it's It's a proverbial saying. And it means that the people who are most familiar with someone often have the least respect for that person. Maybe, maybe you've heard a, another parent or another one of your friends just rave about how incredible your sibling is, your brother, or your sister is. I just, what an example of godliness. And, and you're just the whole time thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> Because you know them, you know? They're not special. They're not amazing. They're just one of the kids. They're normal. When they show up in your place, you're not particularly impressed. That's the point of the proverb. And so Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea, the south. But he grows up in Nazareth in Galilee in the north. So he's, he's not a Samaritan in the middle. He's a Jew. So think about this. Why would John quote the proverb in verse 44 to explain Jesus going from Samaria into Galilee? I would argue it would make more sense for the proverb to explain a trip in the other direction, right? I'm leaving my hometown, Galilee, and going to a new place, Samaria. Why? Because a prophet has no honor in his hometown. That would make sense. But that's that's not Jesus' direction here. He's not going away from the place he had no honor. He's going where? Toward it. Listen how John describes the result of of Jesus' last ministry initiative. Uh, Toward his own people, toward his hometown. These Jews from Galilee and Judea who were gathered in Jerusalem back in John chapter 2. Verse 23 Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, you've got Galileans and Jews all together there. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. What did he know? Well, he knew that their their professed belief or faith was nothing more than a momentary fascination with all his supernatural miracles, all the amazing things he was doing—they didn't trust Jesus as a person. They, they were just enamored with his work. They, they were a fan club, okay, not a group of true followers. You know, they, they didn't—they didn't come to the party. Maybe you've—you've um, you've seen this, or this has happened when you hosted something on the Super Bowl. They, They didn't come to the party because they loved the host. They just wanted all the good food and beer. (laughs) Where's the stuff? And Jesus wasn't fooled. Not one bit. Notice how John explicitly identifies the Galileans in verse 45 of this chapter as those who had what? Seen all that Jesus had done at the feast and welcomed him accordingly. Accordingly. So by identifying the the Galileans in chapter four as the same sort of Galileans as the ones that we saw in chapter two, what is John doing? He's hinting with typical John irony that this welcome falls well short of genuine faith. And yet it's precisely their unbelief. In chapter two, chapter four, the refusal to really believe in Jesus that compels him to return. Think about that. What's Jesus saying? You guys did not honor me the first time I came to Cana in Galilee. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna come back. Would you do that? Somebody offends you, doesn't honor you. You know, hi, I'm Matthew Williams, I'm pastor of a church. No, you're not. <laughs> okay. Friend, if you struggle with unbelief, if you wrestle, To believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I have good news for you. Jesus doesn't run away when you are struggling with unbelief. He leans in. He moves towards you. He engages our unbelief. He doesn't ignore it. And that's really good news if you've grown up in the church where you've been a Christian for a long time and, and our faith is your hometown, so to speak. Why do I say that? Well, because familiarity with the things of God. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Familiarity with God cuts one of two ways, okay? Either your faith in Jesus will grow stronger for the nourishment it affords, or you will become spiritually desensitized or dull to the glory of God because it feels like you've heard it all before. And so I want to just speak for one quick minute here, very specifically to all of you who are growing up in this church. And I'm tempted to just have you come down here, but I think I would lose everybody's attention. So stay where you are. But if you are growing up in this church, I want you to listen to Pastor Matthew. Okay? Okay. I want to have a word with you. The Lord has given you guys a tremendous, tremendous privilege. Okay? I'm one of you. You you have an opportunity to have a boring testimony. <laughs> to, to turn at an early age. Away from sin, away from the world, and toward trusting and loving and following Jesus. To, to not linger long in this world. But that, guys, is not going to happen automatically. Okay? You have to respond to the gospel that you have heard over and over and over again with personal trust in Jesus. What your parents believe about Jesus is not a substitute for your faith in Jesus. What you believe is what matters. So I want you to tend well to the condition of your soul, friend, because because unbelief takes root in the, in the soil of familiarity just as much as it takes root in the soil of ignorance. You need to be careful. In this passage, Jesus is calling you and saying, be careful. Be careful. The way the Lord deliberately moves toward those who previously failed to believe in him demonstrates just the abundance of his mercy. And and when a desperate Galilean father approaches Jesus in verse 47, Jesus shows him the exact same kindness, the same abundant mercy, but it's not in the way we might expect. So you've got what? The man's son is at the point of death. Verse 47, the guy's a ruler. Presumably rich, but but all the power and wealth in this world cannot what stop this wave of sorrow that is just about to crash on the guy. What's that? The death of his son. You know, if you're a parent, you you can feel that, right? That's real. If you were here yesterday for Quinn and with Quinn and Kelsey, Phoebe's memorial service, you. You feel that, that's real. So he travels some 25 miles from from Capernaum, which is down low, up a couple thousand feet to Cana to ask Jesus to come back and heal his son. And I I wonder if Jesus' reply in verse 48 strikes you as a bit strange. Look there, or harsh. Unless you see signs and wonders... You will not believe. I mean, it's like, excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> um, Jesus, do you remember that unit in seminary where we talked about pastoral counseling and the importance of compassion and gentleness and and weep? Evidently not. Where's the compassion, Jesus? Well, friends, he is being compassionate. He's being incredibly compassionate. He's lovingly inviting the stricken dad to to evaluate, to reconsider what what motivated him to come to Jesus in the first place. Follow with me here, okay? For, For Jesus sees in the man's heart a danger that's even greater than the physical death of his son. He he sees a spiritual problem that this man shares in common with his fellow Galileans. And it's why the word you in verse 48 is plural in the original language. Because what's true of this man is true of many, including many professing Christians today. What's that? When many cases, our faith, our confidence, our trust, interest, and desire for Jesus doesn't, doesn't actually rest in who he is, we only come running to him because of the blessings we think he can give. And so when life gets hard, we, we what? We passionately beg and plead for, for Jesus. Jesus, we need you to fix our physical situation, and make everything wrong right. Heal my body, give me the job, save my son, fix the marriage, pay the bills. But, but we never actually deal with the issue of greatest importance, of eternal importance. What's that? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you leaning the entire weight of your life on him? Trusting him as your savior, submitting to him as your Lord, because you cannot have one of those things without the other. Do do you, you see and savor him as the supremely satisfying revelation of the glory of God? your almighty creator, your righteous king, the holy one before whom angels hide the rise, the the savior and redeemer of your soul, apart from whom you are eternally damned? Or is Jesus your 24-hour handyman? Glad to know that guy's on call especially over the holidays when all my relatives come and mess with the house. Friends, Jesus is not denigrating. Please hear this. The value of the blessings he gives. He's he's not throwing shade on signs and wonders in verse 48. In fact, he's about to perform one of them, right? But Jesus is making a critical distinction here between a self-centered faith that demands God give us certain blessings or pass certain tests before we'll believe in him and a God-centered faith that goes all in on trusting Jesus on account of who he is. Those are not the same thing, okay? Uh, A signs and wonders sort of faith, Or what I'll call a, I trust you because of what you've done for me lately sort of faith. Okay, isn't faith in Jesus at all. At all. It's faith in yourself. It may eventually lead to genuine faith in Jesus, but it most certainly does not start there. Because as long as our faith is in signs and wonders, what's up? We're still the one calling the shots. We're deciding what's true about God based on our little evaluation of his activity in our life. It goes like this Is God good because he gave you the spouse of your dreams? Or is God evil because you didn't get the promotion you wanted? Is God just because the sibling who hurt you came back to apologize? Or is God unjust because the relative who violated you sexually never got caught? Is God near because of the spiritual experience you had during the middle of the third worship song last Sunday, or has God forgotten you because it's been two years since you saw a single answer to prayer? What what are we doing? In every one of those situations, friends, we're, we're we're taking. What are we doing? We're taking the presence or the absence of a particular blessing, uh, a sign or wonder on God's part, and then we're deciding whether or not we will trust him based on something he gives, not who he is. You realize that? And in this life, what do we know? What do, the, what do those of you who were at the memorial service yesterday know? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. There are countless situations where you're not going to feel him or see his hand. And those are the moments, the years, the the decades where where genuine faith shines brightest for him. Why? Because what is genuine faith? Hebrews 11 verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things, notice, not seen. Not seen. Okay, faith is not an assurance that God will eventually give you whatever earthly blessing you want nor is it a work of merit whereby you believe it in order to receive it. Genuine faith, okay, the real article, is a persistent decision to fix our hope in the character and promises of our faithful God, revealed in the word of God and eternally secured by the word made flesh. That's genuine faith, And that is what this fearful, trembling dad needed the most. So do you, friend. Jesus was so kind. He was so kind, abundantly merciful to, to heal the man's son despite the absence, initially, of genuine faith. But notice, he did it in a way that gently and firmly forced this man To deal with the most important issue, which is what? Do you believe in Jesus? Point one, Jesus engages our unbelief with abundant mercy. Point two, Jesus nurtures our faith with his authoritative word. Let's think about this. This official, it's Jews time. (laughs) We can't have low blood sugars for this part because this official appears to have either no patience for engaging the spiritual concern that Jesus lovingly raises in verse 48, or he, he just simply doesn't understand what in the world are you talking about? You know, you ever, ever shared a trouble or asked for a Christian for help or something and maybe your parents' kids and, and they say something and you're like, what What's that have to do with anything? I, I just asked you if I could have another brownie and you. My heart, whatever. Some of you got that.. This man has only one thing on his mind. And I don't think I'd be any different. My son is dying. But I've heard Jesus can help. Somebody told me that. And so I've heard Jesus can heal and that the people get close to him can be healed. So so I have to find a way to bring this Jesus back to Capernaum where my son is. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus' response here in in verse 50 is an incredible act of mercy. What's he say to him? Go, your son will live. Or, Or more literally translated, go, your son lives. It's present. Right now. In this very moment. Father. the encroaching tide of death has been reversed. He's no longer at the point of death. He lives. Go. You know, in Matthew thirteen fifty eight, we learn that Jesus didn't do many mighty works in Nazareth, his hometown, because of their unbelief. Why not? Because the Lord has established an inseparable relationship between trusting God and experiencing God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, so here's the question that leaves us with then, right? Why did Jesus heal the official son in Cana not after, but before the man decided to believe Jesus? Do you see that? Well, friends, it's, it's because God refuses to let us box him in, <laughs> okay? Even with our faith, we think we can, don't we? We, we think, all right, juice. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do. And that pastor's been telling me to do forever. And that way, God will have to give me the blessing that I want. I want my kids to be saved. So... If I insert enough prayer in the gumball machine, he will have to save them. I want a wife or a husband. So I'm going to insert enough purity in saying no to porn in the gumball machine so he will have to give that relationship to me. Isaiah 45 verse 9 says back... Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. The the Lord, he acts in response to our faith friends. But sometimes, many times, he acts despite our unbelief. Why? Why? Because he is God and you are not. Because he is God and your faith is not. And so in the same moment, Jesus invites this trembling dad to evaluate his faith. What do you believe about me? Jesus also sovereignly asserts his power and heals the man's son. But he didn't do exactly what the official asked him to do. Do you notice that? The father wanted Jesus to what? Come down to Capernaum. Remember that? He'd heard people get healed when they get close to Jesus. So, so this is what we got to do. My son's deliverance requires the exact same thing. He, he thought he had it all figured out. He had a plan. All right, Jesus, good to see you. Um, so so here's, here's what you need to do. And here's exactly how you need to do it. Okay, ready? One, two, three, go, Jesus to which Jesus says, well, yes and no. Yes and no, cowboy. Yes, your son will live, but no, I'm not coming with you because you need to walk by faith, not by sight. You need to trust me. You, you need to believe me. You, you need to go back home with confidence in the word of my power. Your son lives, says the God of the universe friends, Jesus' way, please hear this, his way of of caring for us in the midst of our own cries of demand, you know, our our own assumptions that we know exactly what God needs to do hasn't changed. What's he do? He gently and firmly invites us to step out, to step forward in the obedience of faith. We we try to strike bargains with God. You know, we, we say things like, okay, Lord, I'll obey you, But first you have to give me what I want. You you fulfill your end of the deal, then then I'll fulfill mine. You you put my blessing on the table where I can see it. A spouse, a job, a, a healing, salvation of my kids. And then trust me, Jesus, I will gladly do whatever you say. That's not what it means to follow Jesus, Christian. Not at all. Following Jesus requires taking him at his word, okay, and obeying him long before you ever get to see with your eyes the fulfillment of his promise. Or the answer to your prayers. By definition, hear this, faith isn't acting on the basis of what we can see, it's acting on the basis of what God has said. And genuine faith is always Christ-centered and word-focused. Because it's through the pages of Scripture, is it not? That that collectively reveal the glory of the word made flesh, the glory of, of Jesus, that God makes himself known to us. And so faith says back to God, Lord, because you have said it, I will obey. Because you've made a promise, I know you'll keep it. You're a faithful God. That's what faith says. And in verse 50, John tells us that the man decided to believe, look there, the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. It it was a step toward genuine faith. And and we could say the same thing today about someone who decides, you know what, I think I'm starting to believe that the words of Scripture are actually true. And as the man journeys home, something remarkable happens, doesn't it? He, He runs into his servants on the road. And they say, Sir, sir, your son lives. And he says, Well, when did that happen? Well, was it, it was right at one o'clock yesterday. And in that moment, eternity changes. A dead heart comes alive and genuine faith is born. On the previous day, the man believed the word Jesus had spoken was an accurate statement of truth and acted accordingly. But in verse 53, genuine faith in Jesus finally takes root in his heart. He, he hears the servant's report and realizes Jesus didn't just reveal the truth yesterday. He, he wasn't just kind of peering into the quarter of time and, and discerning my son would live. In that moment, he decisively intervened in my son's body. 25 miles He healed him by the word of his power. And, and the dad makes the connection. He, he comes face to face with the divine authority of Christ. His power. And he chooses to believe in him. And so you have confidence in the words of Jesus in verse 50, eclipsed by trust in the person of Jesus in verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. So what do you have? You've got a man who showed up looking for nothing more than a gift of healing from Jesus, transformed into a man who now realized that he needed to lean the weight of his life on Jesus. And signs and wonders faith became genuine faith. Je- Jesus used the one thing the man most wanted, the life of his son, to give him the one thing he most needed, which was faith in Jesus. And I was thinking about, you know, how do we illustrate this? How do we think about this difference between faith in the blessing, the sign, the wonder, versus faith in Jesus? And the best analogy I could come up with Chick-fil-A. And I say this till the end of the sermon to make you hungry so that then you could be terribly disappointed that it's closed on Sundays. (laughs) No, I'm not that cruel, but I'm sorry. So uh, am I the only one who likes to eat a Chick-fil-A? Yeah, I didn't think so. If they go public, I'm buying all in. I, I, I I want you to imagine something with me, okay? Especially you kids. It's all my, we like to eat at Chick-fil-A boys, don't we? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love you, Tyler. Imagine you have a friend come in from out of town and you say, hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And they say, Chicka, what? It's, oh, well, just you wait. So you're driving in your car, you pull in. It's not a Sunday. I've done that a thousand times. And, and you get out and, and, and you walk over to the Chick-fil-A sign, and you just, you just start caressing the thing. <laughs> oh. It's amazing. I just, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you can clean it later, Floyd. You know, if, if you were your, they were your friends, what, they're going to say, I know what Chick-fil-A is, but I'm not eating there. You know, you're nuts. Eat Chick-fil-A, go nuts. They would rightly think that I've gone crazy. Why? Because the sign is a gift, but the sign isn't Chick-fil-A. The sign points you in the right direction. It says, Chick-fil-A, this way, not that way. Go here. But, but you actually have to go inside the restaurant to enjoy that juicy piece of crispy chicken. Or the drive through Or the pull-up. A thousand ways we get our food today. But think about it, friends. There are, there are times, don't miss the point, okay? There are times that Jesus just pours out incredible spiritual and physical blessings onto our lives, off the charts. You know, we, we sing a lot about suffering because we live in a broken world, but there are times that you, you shouldn't feel bad about this. You look at your life and think, I'm just swimming in to see a sea of blessing. Well, when that happens, take care that your faith doesn't come to rest in the blessings he gives, but in who he is, okay? Because God's blessings are good gifts. Healing that son was a good gift, but ultimately that's just a sign that sign is meant to direct your gaze back to the giver of that gift. That your faith wouldn't rest in the gift or disappear if it goes, but it would remain fixed in the giver, in God. That's what Jesus did for this man in John 4. That's what he's eager to do in our hearts today. He he delights to to nurture our faith, to strengthen our trust in him through his authoritative word. I'll, I'll leave you with this quote from Edward Klink that I've been thinking about all week. He says, True belief in God occurs when the things the person sought for themselves get eclipsed by the God who alone can provide them. The appropriate response to Jesus is one that learns to find meaning in life not merely in what he gives but in who he is. Guys, this world is full of people. Churches are full of people. There are many people who are eager for the blessings that Jesus gives. But there is a much fewer number of people who really believe in Jesus because of who he is. What's Jesus himself say? Why is it the road that leads to destruction narrow is the way that leads to life. And so this passage is encouraging because we see how the lord engages our unbelief with abundant mercy, right? And he nurtures our faith with his word, but here's the application. Do not presume upon that mercy. And do not assume the authenticity of your faith. Test your faith this week friend. Examine your faith. Take care that your faith doesn't rest in the blessings God gives, but in who God is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask as we sing this final song that you would direct our hearts to trust and believe in you. And that wherever we have convinced ourselves that we really do trust you, but in reality, we just like the gifts you give as good as they are. Lord Jesus, would you replace either unbelief or a, an anemic species of signs and wonders faith with real faith that really trust that we wouldn't go out into this week asking you to pass a trustworthiness test of our own making. But we would go into this week eyes on Jesus, trusting Jesus, confident that no matter what happens or what we feel or what we experience, you are good, you are faithful, you are wise, you are with us, and you are worthy of our trust because you're gonna get us home. Do that, we pray, Lord, in your name, amen. Amen.